Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. At the Rage Against the War Machine March, peace activists stop at the Washington Post to speak out against corporate media's complicity in warmongering. The foundation of any movement is an informed population. And that is why they spend so much time and effort providing misinformation to disinform the population, to confuse the population. The march in Diane provided the perfect opportunity to remember the real costs of war. Our U.S. military drops a bomb every 12 minutes. Do you think that, that they're dropping chocolates and flowers and food and water? No, they're killing people. You know, we're going to be able to get up and go have lunch. My son wasn't able to get up. Thousands of, you know, millions of people since the war on terror, the war of terror, U.S. war of terror against the world haven't been able to get up. All that and more coming up. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, in Washington, there are so many competing narratives about the U.S. war machine, corporate politicians, and even about what are substantiated facts, that it is left to alternative media to tell the truth. Take, for example, this week's Democratic debate, moderated by CNN and the New York Times, with no mention of the catastrophic climate or migration crises. Former Vice President Joe Biden pushed back on Tulsi Gabbard's critique of U.S. regime change, wars, and told all of us around the world that the U.S. mission in Syria was never about regime change or to overthrow its elected leader, Bashar al-Assad. It was left to Sam Husseini of the Institute for Public Accuracy to point out chapter and verse that Biden was lying again. As just two examples... Husseini pointed to the fact that Biden said at an APAC event in 2013, quote, Our position on that tragedy could not be clearer. Assad must go, end quote. Also in 2013, this video in the Wall Street Journal features Biden's commander-in-chief stating the mission very clearly. Assad needs to go. He needs to transfer power to a transitional body. That is the only way that we're going to resolve this crisis. Of course, that was President Barack Obama speaking. And as Aretha Franklin said once, who's zooming who? Speaking of the debate, it marked the return of Bernie Sanders to the campaign trail after suffering a mild heart attack. The Sanders campaign, which raised the most money among the Democratic rivals during the previous period, received a boost this week from the endorsement by Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota and the expected endorsement from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is scheduled to endorse Sanders at a rally Saturday, October 19th in Queens, New York. In a video, Omar said that Sanders' work inspired her to run for political office to serve her community. 
Senator Bernie Sanders is the only candidate that has built a movement and continues to build a movement that transcends gender, ethnicity, religion. And we know that in order to take on Trump, we're going to need a unifier, someone who understands what the fight looks like. In Chicago, teachers are entering their second day of striking for more resources for the city's poorest schools. Also, GM workers will remain on strike until all 50,000 members have voted on a tentative agreement that, according to published reports, offers higher pay for full-time workers and better terms for temporary workers, but may allow the automaker to close three U.S. plants. In other national news, funeral plans for Representative Elijah Cummings of Maryland are expected to be announced today said Cummings' longtime pastor, Bishop Walter Thomas, of the New Psalmist Baptist Church in Baltimore. Cummings died October 17th at a hospice center in Baltimore. He was 68. Bishop Thomas spoke to the Cummings family in this video posted by the Baltimore Sun. Congressman Elijah Cummings was an active member of New Psalmist Church for almost 40 years. He lived his life fighting for the issues that would make life better for others. I have a fond memory of the night that riots tried to take over our city and how Elijah came out night after night, locking arms with persons, walking the streets, trying to make sure that there was peace and civility in Baltimore. That's the kind of person he was, always caring about somebody else. Elijah's a family man. His wife and children matter so much to him. I would watch him every Sunday as he and Maya sat side by side, watch them make sacrifices one for the other, always being there for each other. They were a model to the congregation and a model to couples everywhere. Somebody would describe them as a power couple. I would say they were a loving couple. To Elijah's family, you know I love you all, and you know I'm here for you. New Psalmist is here for you. You all are living embodiments of who we are, and our prayers are with you. You've lost somebody who matters so much to you, but the joy and the beauty that you had was in those last hours, he belonged solely to you. He didn't belong to the state. He didn't belong to the world. He didn't belong to the nation. He didn't belong to us, but in those last hours, those last days, he belonged to you all, and I can think of no better way for him to have departed than to have departed saying farewell last to you all. And in D.C. news, despite ongoing legal efforts to save McMillan Park in Northeast D.C., the Bowser administration is continuing to place heavy machinery into the park where some demolition of historic aspects of the park have begun. The Save McMillan Action Coalition says that taxpayers are footing the bill and that developers will pay nothing for the land where they want to build a high-density complex including a 10-story medical building and 600 luxury condos. October 19th will be filled with activism and events around D.C. Beginning at 10 a.m., there will be the March for Migrants at the U.S. Navy Memorial Plaza, 701 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, organized by Doctors for Camp Closure. The National Network on Cuba, a U.S.-based Cuba solidarity organization, is meeting here in the DMV and is holding a public program, U.S. Imperialist Hands Off Cuba and Venezuela. And that's going to be again on Saturday, October 19th, 7 p.m. at the African-American Civil War Museum. 
Also Saturday, October 19th, there is a celebration for the 50th anniversary of the Washington Blade and LGBTQ plus history month. And that'll be 12 noon until, and well, starting at 12 noon anyway, at 4340 Connecticut Avenue Northwest. And for more information, you can go online to dclibrary.org forward slash wash, W-A-S-H. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, Gerald Horn joins us. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, is here to help us unpack fast-moving world events focusing on Syria. Well, Gerald, as you know, on Thursday afternoon, Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced a ceasefire agreement with Turkey for northern Syria just over a week after it appears that Donald Trump opened the door to Turkey invading the area while on a phone call with Mr. Erdogan. 
So news reports say that the ceasefire hinges on the Kurds evacuating an area 20 miles deep into Syria. So, of course, mixed up in this is the fact that this is Syria's country and land. So how does Turkey or the U.S. get to broker any deal over Syria's territory? Well, that's a $64 question. And with regard to Turkey, it's made a number of missteps ever since the so-called Arab Spring erupted in 2011. That is to say, it joined with religious zealots in seeking to drive President al-Assad out of power. It should have foreseen that with the decomposition of the central government in Damascus, that that would lead to nationalist surges, not least by the Kurdish community, and that that Kurdish community might lend a hand to its brothers and sisters across the border in Turkey. This was utterly foreseeable. And now, President Erdogan is in the process of seeking to undo what he helped to bring into being, which is to say this Kurdish upsurge. Likewise, with regard to the United States of America, what's striking is that the hawks in the national security establishment led by Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, who have refused to speak out on numerous opportunities in terms of condemning Mr. Trump's transgressions, now find their voice when Mr. Trump announces that he will help to withdraw hundreds of U.S. forces in Syria who were not invited in the first place. The Hawks obviously have joined with their companions in the Democratic Party, led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, but it's unclear whether or not this will give any momentum to the impeachment process, that is to say, not just voting an impeachment resolution of the House, but actually removing Mr. Trump from office in the Senate. Uh, Whether or not that second-prized objective can be won because of the momentum generated by Syria remains doubtful. I always have to try to ground myself in facts when it comes to Syria. So, as you mentioned, Trump has raised the ire of his foes and former friends or allies by vowing to pull troops, U.S. troops from this area. But is it really withdrawing hundreds of troops? I mean, that's something I need to get some clarity over because it seems like there was just a few dozen troops in that area uh, where the Kurds were. Uh, and that's not not saying that he's abandoning the 10 illegal military bases that we have in northern Syria. So what was he actually saying? Was he talking about he actually pulled a few dozen troops away from that area? But was he actually also saying, I'm ready to pull out of Syria altogether? My understanding is that, and I think I said this in my opening remarks, that there was an announcement. And an announcement is not not necessarily an execution of an action with regard to, quote, withdrawal, unquote, of U.S. forces from Syria. Now, at the same time, he has also announced that there will be hundreds, if not a few thousand, U.S. troops sent to Saudi Arabia, which is in the vicinity and the neighborhood. So, given this, it's rather unclear what the hawks are complaining about. I think that they feel that it sends an uncertain signal to the international community that 
U.S. imperialism, which ultimately depends upon the male fist in order to get its way, can no longer rely upon that male fist, given the fact that Mr. Trump, at least rhetorically, is so interested in withdrawing from hotspots all across the globe. And from the point of view of the Hawks, this weakens U.S. imperialism globally and not just in that part of the world. So I'm also, I don't know, maybe just kind of amazed at the fact that the U.S. and the EU are saying, Turkey, you can't invade Syria. You know, look at the carnage you're causing while the U.S. has illegally invaded Syria. And as I mentioned, built these 10 illegal military bases that are still an occupying force there in the country's most oil-rich and agriculturally rich northern region. We don't really hear many news reports about how that's actually impacted Syria. Do you have any information? Well, only that it's obviously leading to a balkanization of the country, which boomerangs against Turkey because balkanization means empowering the Kurdish minority, which President Erdogan sees as an antagonist. So I would also say that looking forward, President Erdogan is meeting with President Putin in Sochi on October 22nd, I would imagine that some of these issues with regard to Turkey's incursion could be sorted out then. And then, in early November, President Erdogan is coming to Washington. And I dare say that one of his top objectives will not only be sorting out the Syria crisis with the 45th U.S. president, but also obtaining his prime objective which is the extradition of Fethullah Gulen, the Turkish opposition leader who lives in Pennsylvania, and by the way, operates a string of charter schools in the black community in the United States of America, it would not surprise me if Fethullah Gulen would be packing his bags to head eastward in November 2019. So, did you watch this week's Democratic debate? You know, it seems the Democrats are engaging in some, like, revisionist history. I don't know if I mean, that's not unusual, I guess. So at the top of this show, uh, in the headlines, I offered an audio clip as proof to counter Biden's assertion during the debate that he and Obama's intervention into Syria was never about regime change. <laughs> uh, somehow I missed that. I thought I watched the whole debate, but I guess like many, I fell asleep, oh. particularly when the somnolent Joe Biden was droning on. I mean, obviously, this was about regime change. Recall the hothouse days of the so-called Arab Spring, when in a misadventure of monumental proportions, the United States engineered regime change in Syria, creating a monumental crisis in the north of Africa. Uh, Officer, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Assad was certainly on the hit list, but he managed to escape. And now... Because he managed to escape, I guess history has to be rewritten to suggest that he was not in the crosshairs in the first instance. Just a couple more things, because I know our time is running out. I'm trying to sort out the truth about these ISIS fighters being released. Were the U.S. troops holding them and released them? Were the Kurds holding them and released them? And was this basically kind of done on purpose as kind of a final middle finger to Syria to create uh, a whole new morass for them. 
Well, that's one interpretation, and that's an interpretation I would not dismiss. The corporate media says that the Kurdish forces had these religious zealots under their control, and that when the Turks across across the border and attack the Kurdish forces, that they were unable to keep these religious zealots detained and they were able to escape. It's no secret that going back to 2011, if not before, uh, Turkey had a very curious relationship with these religious zealots, these so-called uh, ISIS fighters. It's no secret that there was a veritable highway from Turkey leading into Syria where religious zealots, not least from Western Europe and not least from France, could cross the border and engage in all sorts of mayhem. So, whatever the case, I think that obviously Turkey has blood on its hands with regard to this entire Syrian crisis. Well, finally, the... It was announced or reported this week that the Kurds have realigned with the government of of Syria and and that the Syrian forces were moving toward, you know, the north to basically, uh, re, you know, recapture their territory and their country. And it's so funny how the corporate media reports it like the Syrian army is advancing inside, advancing toward Kurdish held areas like, you know, but no, they're they are going to their own. They're inside their own country. So. Any final words on that? Because this is a realignment that I guess should have been foreseen. Well, once again, it shows how Ankara, how President Erdogan has bungled this entire Syrian question. That is to say that it's now apparent that an end result of all of these events will be at least that the Turkish armed fighters integrate into the overall Damascus-based Central Army, and therefore will wield significant influence minimally within the overall Turk, excuse me, Syrian Central Army. And Syria, given the fact that Turkey has tried to destabilize Syria for a number of years now, obviously has a bone to pick uh, with Turkey. And Recall that even before President al-Assad, when his father was in power, his father was offering aid to the Kurdish minority in Turkey. It seems to me that that policy now will be resumed in spades, once again pointing out the folly and the utter bankruptcy of Turkish policy in Syria. Well, you know, there's so much more to unpack. I'm thinking also about Erdogan's plan to relocate Syrian refugees in this buffer zone. And that's, not, you know, I'm not really sure why it's a bad thing for people to be able to go back home. But, you know, I can't really make out heads or tail from reading corporate media, you know, what it's all about. But the story's not going anywhere, unfortunately. And so we will have time to continue to unpack it. I've been joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you, Gerald, for joining me today. Thank you. I had a friend who when you used to call him up, he'd say, Prep for the revolution. Ready for the revolution. He got that from Secretary. 
So I wanted to know what he meant by ready for the revolution. His brother named Kwame Ture, who was Stokely Carmichael. And this is called Understanding Readiness for Kwame Ture, who was Stokely Carmichael. How do we know who we are? Except in the world, going through it together. How do we know where we are? Except with each other, facing reality like dogs straining on a leash. How do we know who are our friends and who are our enemies? Only by what they do, who they hold on to, who they fight for and support, who they help, who they feed in the storm, whose side they're on. How do we know who can lead? Only by seeing them do it. Only by feeling the realness, hopefulness, their sincerity and courage. Only by touching their love for the actual selves of us. Only by their suffering in our name. The jailings, the beatings and torture. Only by the way our enemies describe them. Only by their wisdom and plans, their affirmation, their pronouncements and positions, what they think and move on, what direction they give us to transform our slave conditions. How do we know who are our heroes? Can we tell? Yes, if we are conscious. Even when they are still alive. Who is it that will take this brother's place? All of those who understand what his life was, what he wanted, what he did, and who in the end he looked to as comrades in struggles. Whatever their names or philosophies or ideologies or uniforms or preparation. All who want democracy. And freedom. How do we know we must struggle? How do we know? Is that why we are here? <laughs> to listen again, to see again, to feel again. Can we still ask the brother we celebrate, whom we love, whom we still desire to lift us with his transforming fire? We know if we call him, if we call his name, he will come. But what do we need him now to do that he has not already done? We need him now. We need him with us. Because he is part of us now. Part of our consciousness and feeling and history. We need him now. Because without him, we are not whole. Nor will we go anywhere but backward, which he would never do. How do we speak to him now? In our love, our understanding, our developed consciousness. We speak to him with our acts, with our commitment, with facts, with our unyielding will and struggle to be free, our self-determination, our soul deep pledge to help unite, liberate, oppress people everywhere. Same fiercest we fight for Pan-Africa, Africa, the Afro-American nation. 
Hey, is that clear? And what is his brother's name? What is his brother's name? Organizer, Black Panther, Lowndes County, Snick, Black Power, Black United Front, Pan Africa, Incrumus, Scientific Socialists, ready for the revolution. Undying love for the people, all African peoples, Revolutionary Party, Stokely, Carmichael, Kwame, Teray. Organizer, Black Panther, Lowndes County, SNCC, Black Power, Black United Front, Pan-Africa, Nkrumah, Scientific Socialists, ready for the revolution, undying love for the people, all African peoples, Revolutionary Party, Stokely, Carmichael, Kwame, Teray. Revolutionary leader, hero, my man, my man, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Torre, comrade, warrior, ideologue, my man, my man, my man, my brother, my man, my man, my brother, our dear brother, hey. and Kevin Deese from Popular Resistance. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Any action is happening anywhere, they're there. So we really appreciate them. Thank you, Cindy. And hello to everybody. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for coming out. So we who live in the D.C. metro area refer to this establishment usually as the Pentagon Post because it does the work of the Pentagon in selling wars so they can make more weapons for the weapons sellers to sell. And, but it's actually the CIA post because Jeff Bezos, and let's see, he's, is he the, he's the first richest man, the most richest man in the United States, in the world, who has multi-million dollar yearly contracts with the CIA. So that's our taxpayer dollars are going to give hundreds of millions of dollars to the richest man in the world. Does that seem like a very good use of our taxpayer dollars? I don't think so either, and I think I stepped in the gum too. But what I wanted to say is that we have to be aware of what this institution does. Because just recently, they had a 16-page spread on Venezuela that made it sound like all the typical lies that we're hearing out there in the media. I don't want to repeat them because they're lies. But what it didn't tell you was the truth. It didn't tell you that President Maduro was democratically elected with over 9 million votes in a very authentic election in May of 2018. It didn't tell you that before the United States started using unilateral coercive economic measures economic war, economic terrorism against the people of Venezuela, that they were building medical centers, schools, providing food, education. They eradicated illiteracy. They put the right to vote in their constitution. 96% of Venezuelans are registered to vote and they're trying to get to 100%. They didn't 
don't tell you these things. They don't tell you that unilateral coercive measures that the United States is using against Venezuela, against Iran, against Russia, against Syria, you know, it's a list of about 30 countries. And then secondary coercive measures against any country that dares to do business with a country that we've decided to target. That these are illegal under international law and violate the United Nations Charter. They don't give us the truth from this institution. And they demonize rulers like President Maduro. They demonize people like Daniel Ortega and Nicaragua. They demonize people. They make us believe that the Iranians are these awful extremist people that are the Iran Revolutionary Guard is terrorists and we need to be afraid of them. They do this so that we are okay with it when the United States wages wars against these countries. And we have to say no. I don't subscribe to this paper. I will never subscribe to this paper. We shouldn't be spreading their lies. We need to be out there telling the truth. And with that, I'm going to give it to Kevin Zies. Thank you. Thank you all for making the march to the... Uh, uh, all the war mongers uh, sites in Washington DC. We could go on many days seeing more war monger sites, but thank you for taking this long march and staying to the end. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, the Washington Post, I mean, first off, Margaret mentioned Bezos getting a CIA, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars a year that he gets from the CIA. The owner of the Washington Post getting paid by the CIA. Doesn't anyone see a problem with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, conflict of interest, no question about it. And, and it really reflects itself in the reporting in the Washington Post. When, when we visited Iran and Venezuela, countries under attack by the United States, what we see is that what is told in the United States is not just shading the truth to a falsehood, it is totally overturning the truth. It is, it is like white versus black. It is the opposite of reality. We are lied to, and this paper, this paper in, uh, that leads Washington, D.C. media is one of the key liars. And as a result of that, the most, one of the key jobs of all of us is to be the media. We have the job to get the truth out. So, so we appreciate you making this trip the whole way through with your camera. Thank you. Uh, but it is our job as individuals to build our own media create our own uh, lists, whether it's through Facebook or, or Twitter or other social media or co uh, coalitions and networks. We need to be the media. We can each reach thousands of people. That means a hundred people here can reach a hundred thousand people. And we can reach many more if we are focused on it. It's our job. Because the foundation of any movement is an informed population. And that is why they spend so much time and effort providing misinformation to disinform the population, to conf confuse the population. That is why at Popular Resistance we are trying to be as quick as possible. When we see a, a U.S. coup attempt in Nicaragua, we see the U.S. regime change efforts in Hong Kong, we see the activities in Syria, we see them in Venezuela, Cuba, we try to get the truth out as quickly as possible because we know that once that lie is out there, it's going to infect us for a while. And we also know that they are not just targeting the, the general population, they also target the activist communities. We've seen uh, the peace movement divided over issues of Syria, over issues of, of Iran, issues of Venezuela and Nicaragua. We've seen divisions created 
by the National Endowment for Democracy, the regime change agency funded by the U.S. State Department. We, we, we are divided by the misinformation by the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. The liars are everywhere around us. So our urgent task is to rapidly correct the record and get the truth out so the movement can be informed and then we really count on you at Popular Resistance, we count on you to spread the information because uh, they are working hard to suppress the truth, not just by lying through the Washington Post and through the by, 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 by partisans in Congress, but also by suppressing social media, using the modern censorship of algorithms, the, market, mar, the, the censorship of renting people seeing our posts on Facebook and Twitter, taking people off of those uh, those sources. They're doing that because we are effective. The, the, when I say we, I say the movement is effective. When we work together to impact the narrative, we actually do impact the narrative. We do impact the narrative. And we can stop wars. We can stop corporate trade agreements. We can protect the Venezuelan embassy. We can do all of these things. We have power. They don't want us to know we have. And so it's all as important for us to show that solidarity amongst each other. When we were, in, we were in the Venezuelan embassy for 37 days, we so appreciated not just those who are inside the embassy, but those who are outside. Those who are outside showing their support, those in Venezuela who are doing solidarity marches in support of the uh, Embassy Protection Collective. And we so appreciate now that people have come together uh, at DefendEmbassyProtectors.org to help us in our federal fight our federal prosecution uh, for protecting that embassy. It was four of us against the United States. We were so happy to see a, a coalition of people coming together to join us. And we're about to go on a tour this afternoon to California, seven talks about the uh, Venezuelan situation, about U.S. imperialism, then Illinois, then Florida, then the Northeast. We are out there using this federal prosecution to get out the truth. <laughs> Getting out the truth and mobilize the people, that is all of our tasks. That is all of our tasks. And so we really appreciate everyone who was at the embassy inside and out, and those who couldn't make the embassy but still spread the word. We're amazed when we go around the country because of the incredible blackout of the information about the embassy. How many people actually followed it on a day-to-day, -day, sometimes an hourly basis? Uh, seeing what was going on was like amazing news to so many. But it was suppressed, and the Washington Post was one of the chief suppressors. They, they assigned a reporter to cover it who is supposedly their, their reporter who covers protests. She may as well have been part of the opposition. The, the, the reporting they gave was pretty much opposition reporting. They were embedded with the opposition. Uh, and we were lucky to have embedded journalists with us. From Mint Press News, from the Gray Zone Project, Telesaur, a lot of great, Black Alliance for Peace. We had a lot of great people out there spreading the word. So I just want to leave you with that final point. The point I'm really trying to just underline in as many ways as I can in a short time. We are the media. And if we do our job as the media, we can change the direction of the country. And we have power that they are trying to tell us we don't have. So don't be afraid. Be strong and show solidarity. Thank you all very much. You've been listening to voices of those participating in the Rage Against the War Machine March held Friday, October 11th, 2019 in Washington, D.C. You just heard the voice of Kevin Zeese and before that, Dr. Margaret Flowers, both of the organization Popular Resistance. They were also part 
of the Embassy Protective Collective protecting the Venezuelan embassy here in Washington, D.C. also. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. After this break, we'll be right back with more voices from Rage Against the War Machine. Everybody knows that they're guilty Everybody knows that they've lied Everybody knows that they're guilty Resting on their conscience, eating their inside It's freedom Said it's freedom time now It's freedom Said it's freedom time now Time to get free Forgive yourselves up now It's freedom Said it's freedom time Yeah, there's a war in the mind over territory for the dominion Who will dominate the opinions, schisms and isms Keeping us in forms of religion Conforming our vision to the world church's decision Trapped in a section Submitted to committee election, moral infection, epidemic lies and deception, insurrection of the highest possible order distort. And I take recorders from hearing like underwater, beyond the borders, find ascending disorder, bound by the strategy of systemic depravity, heavy as gravity, head first in the cavity, without a bottom, a fate worse than Sodom. What's got him drunk off the spirits? Truth comes, we can't hear it. When you've been programmed to fear it, I had a vision. I was falling in indecision, appalling, calling religious a program on television. How can dominant wisdom be recognized in the system of antichrists and majority rules? Intelligent fools, PhDs in illusion, masters of mass confusion, bachelors of past delusion. Now, who you choosing? The head of the tail, the bloodshed of the male, or confidence in the veil? Conferences at Yale discussing doctrines of bail, causing people to fail, keeping the third in jail. His word is nailed, everything to the tree, severing all of me from all that I used to be. Formless and void, totally paranoid, enjoying darkness as Lord, keeping me from the sword. Blocked for mercy, bitter than Cersei, hungry and thirsty for good meat. We would eat and still dine at the table of deceit. How incomplete, from confrontation to retreat. We belong to true enemies, defeat, destitute of necessity. Causing desperation to get the best of me Punishment till there was nothing left of me Realizing the unescapable death of me No options in the valley of decision The only doctrine, supernatural circumcision Inwardly, only water can purge the heart From words to fiery darts Thrown by the workers of the arts Iniquity, shaping in There's no escaping when Your whole philosophy is paper thin In vanity, the wide road is insanity Could it be all of humanity? Picture that, scripture that, the origin of man's heart is black. How can we show up for an invisible war? Preoccupied with a shadow, making love with a whore. Aching the sores, Babylon the great mystery. Mother of human history, system of social sorcery. Our present condition needs serious recognition. Where there's no repentance, there can be no remission. And that sentence, more serious than Vietnam. The atom bomb in Saddam and Minister Farrakhan. What's going on? What's the priority to you? By what authority do we do? The majority hasn't a clue. We've majored in curses, searched the chapters, checked the verses, recaptured the land, removed the mark from off our hands so we can stand in agreement with his command. Everything else is damned, let them with ears understand. <laughs> Everything else is damned, let them with ears understand. <laughs> 
2003, in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq and the war on the people of Iraq, I was one of millions of people around the world who took to the streets opposing the imminent invasion of the United States and the allies that the few, very few allies they had going into Iraq. How can it be? How can it be that we were right and they were wrong? How can it be? that the people in our government who used to be referred to as the best and the brightest made that what is called now a, a mistake. It wasn't a mistake, it was done on purpose. And we the people were out in the street in the millions all around the world opposing the imminent war on the people of Iraq. And the Washington Post and the voices and the opinion and editorial sections of the Post spoke out in favor and they lied and because they lied and failed to report, people died. Lives were ruined all over Iraq and in the other countries the United States has gone into. There's a price that people pay when news organizations like the Washington Post fail to report on the devious motives of the leaders of our government and the outcome of what they do. I want to say something to what Maliki said. You remember Cindy said that Madeleine Albright, quote, wasn't worth 500,000 children's lives, your sanctions on Iraq. She said yes. Okay, who's on CNN when they go to the experts? Madeleine Albright and Henry Kissinger, the biggest war criminals, and they're the experts. And as Don spoke to this morning, the criticism of Trump is coming from the right. It's coming because he is not along with their program completely. Okay? So we need to be uh, cognizant of what's really going on. A clock is, a broken clock is right twice a day. So yeah, we agree with Trump that the troops need to come home, but we're not agreeing with why. In fact, what he also said in yesterday in Minneapolis, that he's going to bring the troops home because they may have something else to do. So we need to be aware of what's really going on. In addition to the Washington Post, 
If you're watching corporate cable news, you'll see also on MSNBC the leading military and intelligence analysts are people like John Brennan, who oversaw the CIA during the torture scam, uh, scandals and the drone attacks on innocent people in Afghanistan and Yemen and so many other countries. Uh, just briefly, you might wonder why I'm carrying this flag, which sort of identifies me as a pariah in a universally uh, excluded uh, mindset. But I want to say, this is a Syrian flag, in case you don't know. It's the flag of the central government of the Syrian state and the Syrian people. Most of the Syrian people, the ones that are still in Syria, support this flag overwhelmingly. And I want you to know that right now, so the press, if anyone even makes a peek to support Syria, it's like uh, Assad, the, you know, the barbarian, Maduro the monster, and that's how they do it. That's how they get us to stop listening. That's how they get us to stop caring what happens to these countries. They demonize their leaders. No, this is really the leader. We don't need to start a civil war there because they are actually, we're moving forward. When we came and kneecapped them and stopped all progress with our wars. So don't forget that. When you see a Venezuelan flag or a Syrian flag, when you see them demeaning Tulsi Gabbard for having once uh, spoken with them, and then she says, well, I held my nose when I did this. That undermines the reality of what matters. What matters is that these are sovereign states. They pick their rulers, and they should and they should be allowed to stand with them. Thank you. This has been a really fun protest, but I want to cry looking at this dying because to me this is a wedding party in Afghanistan. It's a wedding part, it's a funeral. In Iraq or Pakistan, we have old people, young people. And this is a this is a very moving, moving uh, display here. And uh, this is something our US military drops a bomb every 12 minutes. Do you think that, that they're dropping chocolates and flowers and food and water? No, they're killing people. And this is why we do this. This is why we're out here, to prevent the government of the country we live in. This is not right. You know, we're going to be able to get up and go have lunch. My son wasn't able to get up. Thousands of, you know, millions of people since the war on terror, the war of terror, U.S. war of terror against the world haven't been able to get up. This is pathetic. And um, I just want to thank you for coming, like Malachi said, bearing witness. And let's do this for our children and for their children. And the, and the children of the world. So again, thank you all for being here. And this, I think, is a very moving and appropriate way for ending this uh, thing. Thank you, everybody.
welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here and traveling your long and short distances. And so now I'd like to invite our friends on the ground to stand up and join us as we continue in our work against the war machine. Thank you all. You just heard voices of those participating in the Rage Against the War Machine rally in March held Friday, October 11th, 2019 in Washington, D.C. This march included stops at various locations in the district connected to the war machine, and this particular stop was at the Washington Post. The last voice you heard was Cindy Sheehan, organizer of the march and for the organization March on the Pentagon. Her son Casey was killed in the Iraq War. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. You can contact us, support us, and partner with us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On the Ground Show. And we are on iTunes and Google Play under the title WPFW On the Ground. And you can support On the Ground on Patreon. The music we played this hour included Home Universe by Chick Corea, Understanding Readiness by Amiri Baraka, and War in the Mind by Lauren Hill. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.
alcohol. That was really nice.